Welcome to Oddly Incorrect, a counterintuitive podcast. Dutch is a lifelong early adopter and trend discoverer. Chris is a philosopher, engineer, and futurist. Together, they are oddly incorrect. Got there in first try. <laughs> one of these days. One of well, these days. I, I think I was. I would have done okay. It, but it was. It was saying I was waiting for it to join audio, and it went into like a lag mode with the little circle disc going around and around and around and around. I'm like, oh, no, no. Well, you're hey, here now, huh? <laughs> I said you're here now. It is. I am here blisteringly hot today it's already uh it's already a little over 70 up here oh, it's eight o'clock in the morning thing. i feel so sorry for you <laughs> well you know how rare it is out here it's kind of like uh happens once a year we have that one week of hot weather i know you get a lot more often than me so i'm not i shouldn't be complaining to you but, of all but people. 70 70 is not even hot 70s 70s when we start thinking it's it's warm enough to go outside <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. It's 80. 80. 80. I mean, well, even 80 is not that bad. <laughs> but yeah, you're yeah. right. You're a little. You're a little early. I always thought it was around the first part of June that 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 heat wave would hit. And for somebody who didn't know about that, man, that first year I was there, I suffered bad. I yeah. suffered really bad. Yeah. After that. Well, the funny thing that happened was that my uh, my uncle from Greece, he always wanted to walk the San Francisco Bay Bridge, right? Mm -hmm. And one year he actually came out with my mom to do that. And that happened to be the week that it was super hot. <laughs> and we went up there and he walked, I think he walked halfway across the bridge and back again, but he told all of his family that he walked all the way across. But then he said, oh, I, I'll never go back to San Francisco. It's too hot. <laughs> Can you imagine? You should have told him to come on the 4th of July when it's freezing cold. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's the thing about San Francisco. It's like, like Mark Twain said. Yeah, yeah, we'll, I know. We'll Look, I know. <laughs> but... For the people who are listening to us who don't know, why don't you tell us what Mark Twain says about San Francisco oh, weather? I don't know. He says something about being cold, like like I remember. <laughs> oh, you don't know? The coldest the coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so you, my story. So my story. I was I was down at a training in San Jose, I think, and I, now I live in San Bruno at the time. And for some reason, my heater came on in the apartment mm. and it was during a heat wave. Mm. So that thing ran like all day while I was gone. And my house mm. was hot. Everything in my house was hot. Oh my God. I, I slept with the doors. I you know, obviously don't have any air conditioning. I slept, I don't even think I had a fan then. I got one later, but I uh, slept with the doors open. I got a big beach towel and soaked it in water and slept under it. <laughs> Such a blanket. I mean, everything I could think of because it was so hot in that house. It was like 95 degrees in my apartment when I got home. Yeah, yeah. It's horrible. It it's is. Horrible. And if and you don't not. have any air conditioning at all and, you're, and that comes up, man, you're so ill-prepared. I was so yeah. ill-prepared for that. Yeah, we're just, we're just not used to it. 
And no. I mean, I've been here 20, 22 years now. And every year, it, it, there's such a, there's an interesting, it's an interesting pattern. I like, I know you want to say it's originally at the beginning of June, but I find that it moves around a lot. And it's really? always about it's a, always one week, right? It's always about, about one solid week. And sometimes it comes at the end of summer, in the middle, at the beginning, but it's, it's only, it's usually just one week, like, you know, maybe two or three days tops or maybe, uh, sorry, minimum two or three days, but there's a wave. It just comes in. It like bakes everybody at, you know, hundred plus degrees and then it goes away. And then the rest of the, the rest of the summer is fine. So, you know, I probably shouldn't complain cause I know the <laughs> summer's there are way hotter and, uh, <laughs> We've already had 100 degrees in Austin so. summer. I know how hot it is, so it's uh, yeah. So I'm not I'm not one to complain. Global warming, no, climate change. Forget that. Forget that. Global warming, right? So so, what was I going to say? Um, oh, you said something. I even triggered something in my memory. Oh, the um, oh, my first summer there. Okay, my first mm-hmm. summer. I'm in San Bruno. I'm at the corporate in, uh, uh, apartment that they rented out for me and my boss, and we're staying together mm-hmm. and riding in to, back and forth. So he would go home on the weekend. I have lived in Texas or New Mexico nearly all of my life. At, at that point, it, those two covered like 99.9. And uh, <clears throat> on the, when he would go home, it was so cold in the apartment in July. In August, yeah. that I would I would turn the heater on to, mm-hmm. to heat the to heat the house up because I I think you know it's mental a lot of it's mental and it's supposed to be warm at this time of year so that every when it's not it's cold and yeah. I would I, I think they had the weather come on so I got home and they were talking on the weather every single station every single news station was talking about they were having a heat wave in San Francisco and the, the heat wave was 88 degrees. I was laughing so hard. I said, yeah, heat wave, you must be suffering. That's golfing oh, weather. That's that great golfing thing, weather. Exactly. Well, that's the one thing, that's the other thing I remember when I first moved down here. It's like in Toronto, you get weather and traffic every 10 minutes on the radio. Right. right? Weather and traffic, weather and traffic. Like without fail, every 10 minutes. And uh, I come down here and I'm listening to the radio and all they talk about is traffic. And I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) The weather? There's no weather until November. Exactly. And why would we want to talk about it every 10 minutes? Because it's just like same as it was 10 minutes ago. (laughs) And that's what I, you know, mom, mom watches the weather every night. I'm, I'm sitting there. The only thing she really watches as far as rain chances. And she believes there's a 10% chance of rain that's going to rain, so let's not water the yard. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like... My, da- my dad was like that. He was totally fixated on the weather. He'd watch the weather channel for hours on end. And I'm like, why are you watching the weather channel? I don't know. I guess he's, he was from Greece originally, right? And they had no weather where he was from. And in Canada, it was completely different, right? Because there was weather. And it, <laughs> I guess it was fascinating to him <laughs> that there was weather. Well, the Weather Channel is not the same as watching the weather because the Weather Channel's got programming and all that kind of stuff. They didn't used yeah. to. Used to, it was just the weather. And people watched well, yeah, well, it anyway. That's when he watched it. He watched it back when it was just the back weather. Back in the day, he huh? And spend hours watching it. And I'm like, I, I don't understand what your fascination is with the weather. Well, it's kind of it's, it's like, in a certain sense, you know, when you're a kid, you have, you have your... Either for me, it was a story. It was a it was a fairy tale. I had my mom read this thing over and over until I knew every word. I mean, literally, that's probably one of the ways I learned how to read is that that particular thing is Billy Goat Scruff. Love that, love that story. And you got kids nowadays. After it was that, then it became music. And hello, mother. Hello, father. And then guitars in and there's just a whole bunch but you will listen to them over and over and over and mm-hmm. some of it i think it's now i would say oh it's comfort it's something that you're something familiar and yep. comfortable and you even though you know the weather's not going to change 
the expectation that it will sooner or later is what you're waiting for. I don't know if that makes Absolutely. any sense. No, totally, totally. And I think it was because he wasn't really used to it, right? He wasn't used to something. Oh, up there, I would imagine. Variable, as variable. Because I know that where he came from, he came from a little village in the center of Andros, which was an island off the coast of Athens. And I'm sure that they had two seasons, right? It rained and it was hot. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, it was to it's a total novelty, right? But if you think about it, I mean... One, th one thing I love about uh, human beings is that we invented the air conditioner because it allows us to live in places that human beings shouldn't live. Don't right. you think? <laughs> but we lived here anyway. That's I'm, right. <laughs> I, I remember, I, I remember, I remember unair-conditioned cars. But mm -hmm. I also remember I was at that point right about in there when, uh, what was the name of it? Yeah, maybe I'll remember. There was a there was a business that sold they would install air conditioners on your car, ARA or something like that, and they had a jingle on it. And I think my dad had one put in his business in his uh, company car. Mm -hmm. uh, and that man, that thing was cold. We're talking really cold because nice it wasn't running off the motor so much. It was just it was just free on. <laughs> <laughs> so it was there was you know it was whatever it took from them to, and it just got colder and colder and colder which was great but you know it was the other car i think the, the family car didn't have air conditioning so it was a treat to go with dad on on work days then i must have been six or seven years old something like that maybe nice. but yeah nice. I, i'm old enough to remember cars Came that came without factory installed air conditioning. Yes, I'm I'm that old. Yeah, no, I remember that too. I remember that too. Uh, but I mean, like, so let's speaking of climate change. <laughs> oh, what a segue! It's a callback. That's not a segue. That's a callback. Okay. <laughs> what What do you want to say about climate change? Oh, so I'm thinking. And I mean, I don't see any evidence that it's anything other than just like cyclical things that happen on the planet, because it's always been my, my contention that human, like human beings aren't really, um, what's the word, no matter what we do, unless it's like global thermonuclear war, no matter what we do, it's like a puny effect against mother nature. I mean, look at how we can, we can't handle earthquakes, we can't handle tsunami, we can't handle hurricanes, we can't handle tornadoes. What makes people think that, you know, the, the uh, additive effect of all these human beings doing all this stuff is actually going to make a difference, even if it did? So, I mean, don't you think that, that it's just a question of scale? I mean, even if you take the entire, you know, seven, eight billion uh, uh, pieces of humanity in this world and pit it up against Mother Nature, we're always going to lose because we're fighting a giant. You know, the thing, the thing that as you mentioned that people fart and cows fart and cows create more methane gas and affect the the atmosphere worse than people farting so exactly <clears throat> excuse me let me take a sip of water i got a little yeah that's what the vegans like that's what the vegans are pushing for they want to get rid of all the cows because that will get rid of all the methane which will improve the planet <laughs> yeah, and that's why they're putting that fake beef out there. Yeah. Probably killing all kinds of stuff to be able to make that fake beef, but, you know, whatever. So, climate yeah. change. Since you brought it up, there's a guy I watch on YouTube, and I don't watch him every day. I did there for a while in the wintertime. His name is Tony Heller. Mm -hmm. And he's, I uh, guess, he, he is a, he, I don't want to say a denier. He's not a climate denier. He's a debunker of mm. climate change. And he goes in and he'll go in and he will talk to them about how they cherry pick the dates of when they're talking, of when they started their studies or the dates when they, where they show, um, what's a peak? He will go in and say, there's a peak, temperature is really low 
they'll and they'll go in and pick that date to do all their studies from as the trend goes up. Yep. You understand yep. when they're cherry picking the data is what and he goes in, that's what he does. Yeah. He goes in and he talks about how they change. Um, there's one of them that they there's some they can't change very easily, but there's some data that they can change the data point. Mm -hmm. And it's more like um, there's way there's some method that they estimate the temperature, and that's the one that they can fiddle with because they don't actually have actual recordings. And they can they will even go in and fiddle with the actual recording, the uh, um, claiming that that particular recording was not accurate enough. So they will claim that the accurate one is the, the one they want to use that's more accurate and it always goes towards the trend <clears throat> they're advocating for you understand what i'm saying yeah 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 absolutely absolutely so, you know you've got to you got to you got to watch authorities all the time i, I get i get tickled with everybody oh you you love president and all i'm like no i'm anti-authoritarian all mm -hmm. the time i'm a, a yep. like we've talked before i'm very I look at things that go against the green. It makes sense to me that you better be looking the other direction because what they're doing to you in front of your face is not what they're doing behind your back. Exactly. Exactly. No, and that's that's what that makes me makes me suspect of any survey study. <laughs> uh, oh, don't even. After they got us in and they start teaching us about framing the question and how how uh, really difficult it is to make a neutral question and a neutral survey. I mean, I yep. remember doing some of my my stuff when I was I had to do institutional review. Is that what they call it? IRB? No, IRB. Yeah, institutional review board. And that's yeah. when we were going to do humans subjects studies in grad school we had to go before the irb and you had you had to write out all your questions and your what you expected result i mean it's really detailed stuff right and framing the question was one of those things that you had okay that that doesn't seem to be neutral enough and you would what why yeah. is that not neutral you know I don't remember the questions, but you know, you have you would have to go back and rewrite your questions until it would take out all possibilities of of subjectivity as much as you could, even though you can't really language does not language is subjective no matter what. It is. It's it's even the language of science is subjective. So Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean so that's why when you see people making decisions based on this flawed analysis, it right. just drives me crazy. It just drives me crazy. And and the thing is, is that that you know, if you hadn't made that decision, you might have gotten the same or a better result, or a worse result. You just don't know because all of these things are complete. If you think about it, they're wild ass guesses that have been created by wild ass guesses. <laughs> I mean. You're, how can we trust, how well, can we everything. Trust okay, so you're hitting on. We are not. We're not really good at assessing risk, at all. Yeah, yeah. We're. We think we are. Now, I will tell you that there's there's stuff out there that does a really good job of it. Mm -hmm. It's so complex that even if I bought the textbook, I have the textbook. I have the textbook, but the language they write it in is a, some kind of mathematical probability language. Right. <laughs> I looked at it and I was like, didn't you put a, a, a legend or a key or something to help me out? I couldn't read that book at all. I'd read the English words and I'll read, I never understood what it was. So you're saying that it is possible. So it, someone the, mathematically uh, proven to me, proven some okay. way. So okay. what to reduce risk, it's called, um, let me see if I can think of it. It's an acronym, and it's what the nuclear energy, the nuclear energy uh, industry and NASA uses. It's called probabilistic risk, probabilistic risk 
assessment or evaluation or something like that. This thing is a spreadsheet. So this is when when you put so I'm not going to get this totally right, but it's like this. It's it's a component. It takes the risk of the component and compounds it in the system. So mm. that if you make if you change the risk of this particular uh, component and it's in an aspect i mean since you know databases you know there's a the the values and then you've got the attributes and all that kind of stuff down to as granular as you can get that's what they do when they're doing uh probabilistic risk Mm. and got this massive spreadsheet so each component when it changes you you know you can uh, mitigate the risk by by changing some of your other risks. If you can control mm-hmm. the risk for some things, there there are things you can't control the risk for, and that's how they mitigate it. Interesting. It's, I mean, it's a very complicated thing. You can get you can find a little bit of it on YouTube, but it, it's a it's it's a systems approach to risk, and they when you start thinking about space particularly long 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 voyages that they have to be able to hit the the planet two billion miles away or something like that oh yeah they have they have to get their calculations and reduce risk really really fine detail at at, you know at the degree probably the degree uh and i'm not very good at at, uh, radial or uh, spherical geometry or whatever however they use that but think of within the degree there's minutes and probably there's a something smaller than a minute or so there's minutes and seconds and then down to the second is pretty 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 specific but they probably Mm -hmm. go beyond that does that, so does that work in every field or is this just this field that it works in? So this is oh, I, I think it's probably with both of those things, what the I think air uh, airlines use it too for for airplanes and those types of things because they're it, it was I I can't even think about the history of this thing. I came across so I think it was nuclear and then war, military. Military mm. military uses it too. And then um, I'm not sure if, if, uh, if weather uses it or not. But it's a similar, it's a similar model, right? It's, it's, a, it's a similar, it probably uses like I said, massive spreadsheets that have values and attributes and all, they're all defined, they're all quantified. Uh, quantified. Mm. So there, it's a massive spreadsheet of quantified risk that add up, wow. that add to each other or, or detract from each other. So, wow, I see that. So you think we'd be able to use that model and apply it to you other? You think, yeah. But from what I've from what I've read about the the one that came out of um, Imperial College over in England, UK, I'm not even sure if it's England. I'll just say UK is that thing had never been tested, or and mm. he wrote it several a couple of decades ago, and they never ran it. You know, and 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 I, you know, we're getting the advanced, the really advanced stuff. You probably know this better than I do. Uh, with the programming background is Monte Carlo simulations. Do you know those? Yes, yes, yes. Actually, we're doing those things in quantum computing. Correct. So yeah. you run, so you run the things over and over like a million times, and it shows you how to strip out the variations. Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. Or where your variations are, and see if you can mitigate them or something like that. So in space, that they, they do Monte Carlo uh calculations all the time mm-hmm. uh, they they uh um it's a it's a big thing within rocket engine design uh that's and i'm i was close enough to the guys that did it that i know that but i was not smart enough to understand it 
<laughs> the only thing there, I got, I, I got uh, my uh, civil servant approved me going to. They have, they had some what we call the graybeards. The three guys, uh, one of them was a former basketball coach, and one of them was recruited by Von Braun. And you know, these guys came in to give the new engineers perspective in history. Okay, wow. and this course. I got into it, and the most amazing thing to me was how they used to uh, rockets are tuned. Did you know rockets were tuned? Mm -mm. Rockets are tuned on harmonics. And, uh, of course, of right, course, because it's it's that's how they shake themselves apart. So within a rocket, they had dampers and and uh, accentuators so that they can neutralize. The vibration because they will shake themselves apart if we don't that was fascinating so what they did back in the day after they kind of figured all this kind of stuff out back in this is pre this is probably pre-apollo or during the pro apollo era they were showing us a film of what they used to do they would assemble the rocket and then shake it mm. to see where where they needed the damper i'm sure they had all kinds of metrics on it or sensors on it but the way they would do it this is my favorite part the way they would do it is at the bottom the engineers would lay down on their backs and put their feet up against the rocket and push <laughs> with their legs while the engineers at the top would put a chain around it and pull like a tug of war team <laughs> and i'm sitting there going and i mean they don't do it that way anymore but back then that's how they would do it yeah, and they had a film of it, and I, I was like, I was so totally amazed at at how, you know, we we think we would not even think that space would even think of laying, they're laying on their back. I mean, they're laying with yeah. their shoes, their tennis shoes or whatever shoes they were laying there, and they're yeah. pushing. Like I just, I just uh, googly eyed. Big, my eyes were like big as pie saucers. It was amazing. Well, you do what you have to do, right? I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing. I think that's a th another thing that's changed. That's what engineers. See, that's what engineers do. That's yeah. not what everybody else does. Yeah, yeah. Engineers just like take the reins <laughs> and do whatever they need to do. So if that's the, if, that's okay, the, we've got to figure this out, and we don't. You know, now they have test stands. Now they assemble the thing. They not. They they have all kinds of stuff now. Back then, yeah. though, you know, primitive, and they still got to the moon and yeah. back. Yeah. And, you know, even is amazing. I, I mean, well, as a I space kid, I was totally amazed. I'm like, wow. Well, I'm almost thinking that, you know, uh, that sort of visceral connection to things had made things easier then. Because right now we kind of layer this technology between us and the device or the thing, and we we, we trust that over our own intuition, right? Yes. Okay. So, so now you're hitting on you're hitting on you're getting mis you're getting really close between the split between Plato and Aristotle. Okay. So. The, well, not and you know I didn't really understand that for a long time. Mm -hmm. They talked about it all the time, like everybody understood, like Aristotle was backstabbing Plato. Yeah. Why? Okay, they're both both ground-laying philosophers, but you have to understand the difference, and you just outlined one of them. Mm -hmm. The theory versus the practice. Yeah. And that was a yeah. huge split, and until you really understand that, you, you, you think all theories are the same, and they're not. Uh, some of them are more detailed. Some are just ideas. So, but you know yeah. what that leads me to is the whole. I don't know if, for some reason, this triggered something in the uh, that I've just been listening to the Red Pill. I don't know if you've listened to the Red Pill or or watched the Red Pill or any of that stuff, any of the Red Pill stuff. But they were talking about it's it's about intersexual dynamics, right? Which so one? You have to tell me <laughs> which one. There's lots of them. Lots of them. This is the there one. There are. Rolo Rolo Tomasi. Uh, Rolo Tomasi does a, uh, um, a YouTube channel and it's all about intersexual dynamics. So it's about men and women, how they work with each other and not work with each other and stuff like that. And one of the things that he 
harps on over and over and over again is don't don't listen to what they say watch what they do right correct right right and it's the same i mean this this that that kind of that kind of concept really is applicable everywhere right because right. it's like we were saying it's like you know i can say one thing and do another but if you actually see what i'm doing and see what i'm saying then the thing that i'm actually doing is the thing i actually believe right, right. so reality is in the doing not in the saying and which one so is that is that socrates or is that plato is that aristotle <laughs> who's the reality in the doing guy uh, I would think, well, okay, I would put Aristotle as the one who defines everything. Oh, right. man, everything. Plato, with that, with a, if you don't understand the, uh, the uh, theory of form, I forget if he calls it philosophy of forms or the theory of form. Mm -hmm. if, if you do not understand that, that then you're, you're, you're missing out on how to deal with people because people will, Put out their theory of form, like um, when not every time I hear somebody you sh you should or you ought to, yeah, whatever X Y Z. The very first thing I'm thinking is they have a theory that they're telling me that they're this is their theory, and you know okay I'll listen to them, but I know it's a theory, and so I will. So is that what you did? Well, no, but that's what I should have done. So they have a theory about their shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think about their theory. Let's get meta. <laughs> so that's and that's what they're telling you when they say when they say oh, you ought or you should is is not what I've done myself. Right. It's just their own, their own postulation on what should be done. That that and that, you know, if they have so what you want to do there is you want to drive down and say. You didn't do this, but you learned from a uh, lesson learned. This would be a lesson learned thing. You learned right. to do it that way from now on, from then on, right? And then yep. you, well, no, I didn't actually do it that way either. They never yep. do it the way that they try to tell you to do it. We're really good at being theorists. We're really bad at being at um, uh, being doers or activators or however, you know. Exactly. What we're going to is the one of the splits that I ran through, and you don't you think it's all Ivy Tower egghead kind of stuff until you get into it and understand behavioralism versus humanism. And we're yep. what we're talking about right now is Skinner, you know, behavior behavior is the only thing that matters. Doesn't mm. care how you feel, none of that stuff, only what you do. And that was so hard for me to get my head around for many, many years until I went to NASA and it, it became more clear that that was the only way to go is yeah. observation, observation, not, it's really easy to create a theory, but it's really hard to match it up to observation. Yeah. And it's always, it's always observation, isn't it? It like eventually I, comes down to observation. So one of the things that we're, we're, we're dealing with is at the moment with the, and we ought to say is because who knows when they're going to listen, with the COVID-19 flu is there, we're talking about models. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's what we've been talking about probably for the last 10 minutes. And the verification of the models. Models are just, they're not even theories. They're best guess mathematical models of way it may work yeah and exactly. you know, and you don't have a way of testing it until you do and the, and so what so what they're probably doing they're probably getting all kinds of data that are fixing to go into a supercomputer to model what this virus actually did versus what they had what they assumed that it would do because there's a mm -hmm. lot i mean lots of assumptions go into the model and so they're they're going to be wiser but then again what we talked about earlier is every situation is different yep and you're you're still not going to be any wiser if it's not a covid virus is it maybe it's a different family of virus what's that going to be how are you going to account for the variances and you're running those monte carlo's simulations i'm sure they did not do that 
I will bet you they did not run Monte Carlo situations with these models. I'll yeah. just, I, it doesn't it doesn't sound like they did anything to test whether there was a how close they were going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think they actually just just used another model. They lifted a completely different model and they just applied the numbers to it. And and <laughs> so that it tells me that all of this stuff really is worth nothing. Right? You can, we're making decisions on no data on a brand new situation that we have no, and if you think about it, it's because the way human beings have been wired, we always make decisions based on our past experience. So all we think that these models are, are more accurate representations of our past experience, but it doesn't matter how accurate the representation is because it's still going be to be off and it could be way off. It could be completely wrong. It's because, almost as if you yeah. said a couple of things. Maybe I'll, I'll remember what, but one of them that you just talked about is you don't hear chaos theory like you did in the 90s. And chaos theory, could, if, if you were off just a little bit, the magnification of that thing downstream is tremendous. And you mm. just should, that should have been accounted for is where's the chaos in the system? And I'm not going to tell you that I'm I'm the kind of guy, but I I read all that kind of stuff back in like '90, uh, yeah, in, in the mid '90s, when it was really kind of popping out, and and so chaos, we're, there's chaos in the system. Everybody, even within communication, there's what we call noise. Mm. There is noise when every communication message between the receiver between the sender and the receiver and we what we try to do is minimize the noise they did not try to minimize the noise on this thing yeah there was plenty of noise in there and somehow they missed it and i and i'm sitting here in an armchair quarterbacking some people that really are probably way smarter than me but they're they if they picked that model they should have run they should have gained it they had time to do it. They had the time to do it, but they did. If they didn't do it, then then we should look at them with the stink eye. Exactly. And before before we get too far into this, we definitely have to talk about the Thousand Talents program because that's something we led off the last show with. Remember? Yeah, I know. Totally. It has. It's got nothing to do with what we've been talking about, but we we have to talk. But about we're going to break. <laughs> Go ahead. That was a break. What did, what did you find? Well, it, apparently it is a program that the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, put in place to highlight exceptional individuals right. within China and also outside of China, right? But my sense is, is that they're using it as some kind of cover to basically get their tendrils into everything and everyone. Now, I mean, I was thinking about this sort of backlash against made in China, right? And I think I read somewhere that 97% of Americans want labeling on their products so they know where it's from. And 70% of Americans, you know, want to like would pay up to double to buy stuff that was made in the US. Now that's a poll, obviously, you know, again, we're talking about behavior versus what they are going to say. So that's obvious. But the thing that struck me as interesting is that especially when I heard about that chicken plant that was owned by China somewhere in Tennessee or something like that, that was all mm -hmm. COVID ridden. Say, like, where does China not have their tendrils, right? Where do they, where are they not? It's like, is there any place that's free of Chinese communist party influence anywhere in the world or any company that's free of it? I mean, we're probably talking on technology that's being funneled back to China right now. Who knows? <laughs> right. What, well, what are you thinking? So when they park on my doorstep with guns to take me away, I'm going to blame it on you. <laughs> Remember, it used to be that if you said something about the president or the FBI or Russia, right, you'd be taken away. But now if you say something about China, that's when you're taken away. <laughs> hey, you're out there in the middle of it, from what I understand. I mean, Silicon Valley is deep, deep, deep with China, with, with Chinese, because they have a what, H, HB1, Visas, yeah. what is it? Is that yeah. it? HB1? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I was on that for a while too, but that's, I think that's been curtailed. But the, the, the thing Oh yeah, it's been curtailed, but yeah. that doesn't mean that there's not a million of them, uh, uh, re- uh, not, not refugees, people who have outlived their H1B or H1B oh, yeah. visa that yeah. are still there. And they, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. That's the number one. That's the number one way. That's the number one illegal uh, immigrant in the country. Is I think people who just like let their visas lapse, and right. nobody chased them down. But uh, the, the interesting thing about this thousand talents thing is that it was supposed to be. Uh, but if you look at what's happened, like there's been some high-profile arrests of people who've been funneling information back to China, and China's been giving these professors all this money. Right. And it's local businesses, it's local leaders, it's it's university professors. It's all of these sort of like middle Americans who you'd think, oh, yeah, they're not going to do this. But they're being plied with all this cash, which, of course, came from us originally anyway, because right. we bought we, we, we built stuff. It's funny, you know, we're using our own money to to um, undermine ourselves. And these people are just being given these giant sums of cash. Of course, anybody would do something for that, right? I mean, if, if I'm a, if I'm a, like a, a, a poor professor in Kansas City, and you know somebody shows up at my doorstep and says, "Hey, I'm going to pay you fifty thousand dollars a month to promote China," what are you going to do, right? Well, I'm not okay. So your 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 marketing hat is, it's not whether they promote China; it's what China takes from them. They'll pay right. fifty fifty thousand dollars a month, or they're not getting. The messaging they don't really care they they want the infrastructure the technology underlying technology of what they're doing um something came out within the last well mike pompeo did a uh he's the secretary of state here did a i don't remember if it was during the i think it was right before we did the with the shelter in place uh, across mm-hmm. the country. They did it. He did a present a, a speech to the governors, the state governors, mm-hmm. and called. He didn't name them by name, but he said, "You know who you are. That China has got an influence in you and your state, and yep. you help them." And that's so. That's one thing. Um, if I can go back in my mind and pull out what I was going to say. Um, Oh yeah, this has come out within the last uh, within the last week or so. Is if you're a government if you're a government employee um, here in the states, you have your part of called the savings plan, PSP. Uh-huh. It's mm-hmm. the, it's like the governor the government's four hundred one k kinda. Okay. Uh, so so that you're able to invest and the government invest for you. Well, they figured out that. American soldiers who are investing in their TSP are the companies that the TSP is investing in is, is the China's are owned by the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? I mean, like I said, I mean, where are they not? Well, they're pretty invasive, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty invasive. It's, so they're like kudzu. If you've mm-hmm. never been in the South, you don't really know what kudzu is, but it is bad. <laughs> when it takes over 20, 40 foot trees and it looks like ivy vines, you, so you drive it. If you've never driven in the South during the summertime, uh, and I mean the South like Alabama yeah. and Georgia and Mississippi, not even Mississippi that much. And Louisiana doesn't have it that if they do, I don't see that much of it. But Alabama's got a bunch of it, and you're driving along with like big green monsters with limbs hanging over the the road with kudzu hanging off of it. Wow! So it's invasive. When we when I think invasive, that's what I think because I'd heard about it a long time, but you can tell you were actually there. You don't know how invasive it is. It's, right. It's really so. The Chinese are the kudzu of America. <laughs> But the, so what do we do about it? Is there anything we can do about it? I mean, I'm not well, sure if there's anything we can can do about it. I mean, I other than fight back. How do you how do you defeat kudzu? Do you just like burn it off, or there's no way to defeat it? I'm not sure if the, if 
I'm not sure if we can defeat it. One, because it's here. So, but, mm. but that's a so the, that's an, that's a species. But they're here. One way you can defeat it is to track track the financial tra- transactions. Mm-hmm. We're we're all worried about people tracking us. They but if they start tracking the funds and um, I'm sure there's ways that they can peel away all kinds of layers of obs- I can't say the word obfuscation. Obfuscation. Thank you. Yeah. Is they can peel away like shell uh, shell corpse and all kinds of stuff and bank accounts. They know where it's going. Mm-hmm. They're just yeah, at some level they know where things go. It's whether yep. they want to put the priorities there and the resources to do anything about it. The one one way you do it, I, I think one of the things that they talk about is they are able they don't do country sections too much as much as they do leadership sanctions. Mm. So the people are getting that's one of the ways that they're that the current administration is changed that they don't country okay it spread it spreads the pain to the to the country doesn't do mm. any good but it spreads the pain when you start taking the oligarchs and the and the mullahs and all and the people who are and taking their and putting sanctions on their bank accounts that's when things start to get a little bit tighter right so they've individualized that to the and that that's one way to answer your question is you go after I mean, now how do you do that with china i don't i don't know i know what i think but i i also know there's people like uh jack ma that are billionaires how do you get to be a billionaire in china right not how that not the way i thought china was <laughs> so what a lot of it is in in is we need to reframe the way we think of china as a way from away from the almost the third world thing it was when we were children yeah you know because by her and i think this is an interesting thing going on with the with the the virus is that they're we're starting to look at them not so much as the third world will give you a hand up as you got your hand out and it's in our pocket yeah yeah exactly right so do you think this is going to lead to lead to anything i mean is it going to turn into anything are we going to are we going to see something come out of it i mean are we going to be able to is this going to remain an economic battle or that's an interesting question chris i the inter- the interesting thing there is China we're dependent on China, but China is also dependent on us. All mm-hmm. those billions of people who are now consumers and are used to a finer uh, uh, way of life. That's not exactly what I'm looking for, but they're used to uh, having their own. Uh, I don't know if they have their own homes, but their own apartments and those kind of stuff instead of communal living, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to going back to that could, could result in some pretty much turmoil likes going on in Hong Kong. The newest mm-hmm. thing out of Hong Kong, I'm not as into it as I was over, over mm-hmm. the last year, but with the, with their, the Chinese are trying to crack down on Hong Kong and they're making moves towards uh, the, the uh, Formosa, uh, Taiwan, Taiwan. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're making moves on that because they're probably they're trying to consolidate everything that's going haywire. You know, yeah. they probably had, you know, they have like five hundred year plans. So <laughs> their five hundred year plan may be disrupted just a little bit, and if it is, that means they're probably making some poor decision is i mean 500 year plan i can't even imagine 
but it's like a, it's a foundation series. Remember the foundation series? Do you remember? Oh yeah, that? we've talked about this before. Psychohistory. So. <laughs> There's no such thing as a 500 year plan that is that is viable. I mean, how can how can a 500 year plan be viable unless you've got some quantum computers running simulations? And by the way, when you were talking about simulations earlier, I think you're 100 percent correct. That's how that's how we're going to figure things out. What we need to do, we're going to have quantum computers running billions of simulations and going, well, this is the best choice. Yeah, let's go that way. Let's go that way. It'll make the decision for us because it'll have so many data points, many more data points that we we can't wrap our minds around it. Well, it'll have. It will run, and in a lot of senses, what the quantum computer will be doing is probabilistic risk analysis, PRA, PRA probabilistic risk analysis. That's right. what that thing is called. Ah. So what it's doing is doing, it's a stat-heavy, stat statistical model of risk. And mm-hmm. every, like I said, it's got components and attributes and values and all kinds of stuff that, get, that feed into that thing. So mm-hmm. there's lots of little variables as they roll up. It rolls up to a dashboard, as best I can remember. So yes, you're. So think about that instead of risk, um, like we just talked about scenario planning, mm. which kind of risk analysis in some way, but it it plays out. I think it plays out differently. Otherwise, they wouldn't have a different name for it. But they will they will do scenario planning, and I'm surprised that there wasn't a scenario planning for um, for a pandemic that would utilize some of the things we talk about as Monte Carlo probabilistic risk analysis and and all of those things because we're talking about a huge amount of variables, huge. I mean, it's, I can't even put my mind around all the variables. Seven really billion they, of them did, to start with. You really think that they, they didn't do that? I think they no. did it. And they just ignored the results because it didn't give them what they wanted. What did they want? <laughs> they wanted this lockdown. They wanted to be, you know. Oh, welcome to, to the conspiracy theory, my friend. <laughs> They're just, you finally got there. Well, you've been watching Red Pills. Uh, you know, there's <laughs> lots of others out there. Um, <laughs> There's well, a guy. There's no, because there's no there's no reason for P, us to continue to remain locked down because there's no. no I mean the numbers the numbers don't lie anymore. There's there's nothing happening. And well, we've, oh, this, oh, you, it, you brought me back to one thing. Okay. Because we talked about data driven decisions, right? Yeah. You know that they didn't give us the data so we could make a decision. Somebody else mm-hmm. did. This is, we're making data-driven decisions. Yeah. I would think that would be transparent because if it's a data-driven decision, it will be obvious. A fourth grader can look at a graph and say, this is better than that. Yeah. But we didn't see the data, did we? Mm-mm. And well, we don't know we where it is. We saw some data. We but saw some data. Even the even saw, data that they released is, yeah, it, is damning. I, I, I think is is the back in the day it was uh, world class. Remember when world class business customer service, world class everything. Mm-hmm. I think the the leadership class has gotten on to data um, data driven decision making, and they use that, but they don't let you see the data. And to me, if you have the data, you should be able make your own decision and it will correspond with their decision i would think and if it does if my decision doesn't correspond with their there's something wrong right so you're saying that the decisions that they're making they're making decisions based on data that we have no where we don't have the ability to access are there and i don't think they're smart enough to do that i think there's a model that they're using to make and they're using because i when i looked it up Data-driven decision-making is a model. Mm. And there's a model between the data and the decision. And that's what we need to know. Mm. But they're not going to tell you that. Oh, it's proprietary. What? It'll come up with a billion things why we don't need to see the data. Because you and I both know 
raw data is is valuable stuff, but it's only valuable mm -hmm. once it's been processed. Yeah. And you, I'm sure you've done polls and surveys and all kinds of stuff, and you're looking at the raw data and kind of shifted around so this would be more prominent than that and that's what people do that's you know i um what was i going to say one of my one of my true beliefs is the people who fill out the data points own the data not the people who are doing the survey right but, you, but that's, not, that's not the common way people look at it but if you read Dan O'Reilly, he basically says that survey data is crap because people will just put whatever they want in there. They'll well, just, like, there is that. You know, I mean, I know, I know that contamination, there's all kinds of stuff that goes in there. And there, there's a lot of design that goes in and take out that, that uh, survey data too. But in most cases on polls, um, I wouldn't. I don't trust polls for nothing because they're if they're straw if they're like straw polls, eh? They're just they're yeah. just it's what I used to call they're like a thermometer. They give yeah. you the read at the moment, and they're no good until you do it again. Yeah, exactly. Snapshot. It's like it's like a COVID. It's like a COVID test. Right. <laughs> exactly. If you and if you go and you're and you're making out with your your significant other one hour after the test and she's got it so do you but you don't know it but you think that you're you're safe because you didn't test you're not going to exactly. figure out that you know it's how this how it's transmitted they're not even sure about that they keep they keep changing it all the time yeah and that's a, that's a problem too science experiments change science is about knowing and they didn't know crap about it. yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just calls everything into question. Right. And that's the thing that well, that's, for some people that, it does. Yeah. Um, you saw the picture that's, of um, Alyssa Milano with in her, she was promoting mask and she had a crocheted mask <laughs> with a hole as big as, you know, as big as a BB on her. I'm like, Well, apparently there was a filter underneath it, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, the whole, the, the point of this whole thing is, I think the point of this whole thing is just control, right? It's just, it's just. I, I do think that. Yeah. I will, since you, since we're a little bit on conspiracy, there is, there is some who think this was the pilot for a much bigger event. Mm. You're hearing them talk about the, the second, the second wave. There's a guy out there named George Webb. I think I mentioned him to you, mentioned him to you before, who believes there is a second variant of the virus that is more lethal. Hmm. Hmm. And, that and the they're, that looking, they're waiting. They're waiting to put that out. Yes. He he didn't say it that way, and I need to watch him again. But he's on YouTube. He's a he's a very it's very interesting. He's a uh, investigative journalist that understands or seems to understand the parlance of microbiology and epidemiology. So, so he's a, he's a, a very interesting guy, huh? This is basically a test run. That's that he doesn't say it that way. There are other people that do, but yeah, the, the, he he puts out the. There's two variants, and one of them is more lethal than the one we get. There's something else that goes along with, I was listening, though, that as you get virus, it gets weaker. The more it infects, it gets weaker. Mm -hmm. And so let's say that uh, of a family of five, the father gets it. He comes in with a strong version. The mother gets it. It's weaker then. And then and it's, this is, has something to do with her immunity, but they're, the weaker yes. the virus gets weaker as it passes as it transmits itself and right. i'm having i have a hard time with that one how does it get weaker what is it what makes it weaker and i'm guessing it's the herd herd immunity i'm not sure i really don't know well the thing i'm trying to figure out is like a virus is almost like it's it's it, it's not alive people were saying that it's attached 
to bacteria that we transfer. So the virus itself isn't being transferred. It's being transferred with something else. So there's a medium. Right. And that's why, that's why it gets weaker because you get less of it, right? So I have like 80%, I have like 800 units of virus on me. And then when I, if I shake your hand, uh, I still have 800 units, but now you have 200 units of virus, right? And so that's probably why it gets weaker because it just sort of spreads. It just gets... It so, gets so what you're talking about there is what, what they call virus load, viral load. Yeah. yeah. And so it goes down, but it's still the same. It hadn't mutated. I've not right. heard anybody say it's mutated. And I would think that would be a... Um, I would think that would be a part of it getting weaker is it's a mutation, but it's not. It's not the same as a mutation because nobody talks about that. But it's not alive. So how does it, does it replicate? It can't replicate itself, right? It's just, it's just like paint, right? It gets thinner and thinner and thinner until, it's, until you can't even see it anymore. Well, I think what it does is it, it, uh, it's almost a uh, parasite that it goes in and has us replicate it. Mm. I think that's I think that's right. So is human it, beings, it goes, it, we it, it takes over our our cellular biology where it changes the DNA or the RNA. I'm not sure which one it is, and then it then it's a contaminated cell, mm. which generates a lot more contaminated cells, and that's how we get infected, and then we become um, not contagious. Now, I guess that is right. We become carriers. Mm. So it's replicating ourselves in our body, but that's, that's my understanding. It's been a very long, and biology was my weakest science. I hated it. <laughs> Me hated too. Biology, biology so, and finance. I can't, I couldn't do finance for, worth anything but so like one more thing before we got to go because uh i want to do you think so this do you think that this was initiated by the ccp do you think they were behind it do you think the chinese communist party was behind it i i will go they were they were they're going to be the fall guys mm-hmm there may be another organization um, behind them. I, I don't know really? this. I, I, I don't know this. I just suspect that they're, they're going to be the fall guy. I, they, That's interesting. I, I'm almost thinking that it, they did it in concert with some other well, group. It could, have been, it could have been that way too. But yeah. if, it's, if, it's, if it's in concert, somebody's going to be the fall guy. And I don't think it's going to be the ones that I would have pegged to be telling Chinese communists to do this. Yeah. I don't think well, the Chinese, don't, I just don't think they're that evil. I, I just, you know, I, really? I, I, they're different. I don't think they're that evil that they would, they would, they would put out a virus that, but I think that it, what you were saying is, in collaboration with somebody else, I think they, uh, I think they, they could see the benefit in that. Do you, what do you think about those stories of people being shoved into body bags when they're still alive? Do you think that was, that's a pot? That's now, not I cool. hadn't heard that one, but I, the one I did hear early on is that they were welding people into their apartment, their apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, cool. I, I've not heard that very much, but I heard, um early early on this is back before even we shut down the country this is back in january february so uh, that's about the time probably the time i started paying attention is when trump said that in the state of the union address yeah and so you started hearing you started hearing things and and i run across the guy the the doctor that's supposedly disappeared or they killed him that was putting the message out. I ran across, I watched that way back. So there's, I've watched this for a long time. Yeah. Do I know who did it? No, I don't. Yeah. But well, I, I don't, I, I don't think they're, <laughs> pardon? We may never know who did it. 
or well, who started it, or how it came. Well, thinking that that there's going to be, you know, all they all they have to do is put out a bounty. <laughs> when when they start putting out bounties, and they're in the million and billion dollar range bounties, people are going to start paying attention. Yeah. So we're all back to back to money again. It's always oh, money. It's always value. It shouldn't be money. And if you start hearing gold bars being thrown around, that's when it's real. <laughs> when they're when they're throwing gold at it, that's when it's real. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, on that note, thank you so much. This has always been it's it's a it's always a pleasure. You never know. I have more yeah. fun with this. <laughs> but uh, since you were six about. minutes over, I want to thank you for for putting off whoever whoever your next call. <laughs> Thanks. And we should think about what we're going to talk about next week, but we don't have to do it now. You know uh, what? We so didn't much, talk about what we were going to talk about this week. We didn't? Oh, no. okay. <laughs> what were we supposed to talk about? Uh, envy. Oh, that's right. Oh, <laughs> all right. Next week. Next week. We'll have to take talk to you later, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. To be continued on the next episode of Oddly Incorrect.